Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can and will change the world. Uh, like most of you, I've been an employee. I've also been a business owner. And in between, I've been an executive and manager. And I have been through, I probably got a PhD in the School of Hard Knocks. A lot of things I did wrong. Um, but as I went through that journey over the course of my life, the more I realized I was dealing with people and not an asset, people and not as an employee, the more successful I became. And there's so many different war stories I could tell you about that in that journey, the mistakes I made, horrendous mistakes I made, and those little epiphanies when I realized I had finally started to get it right. Uh, so I'm attracted, ideas matter, right? I'm attracted to thought leaders who are trying to give us tools to bridge our understanding of that gap between the human being and the worker. I'm fascinated with that. And of course, the lessons in that probably can apply to our personal lives as well. So um, years ago, I became aware of a, a very noted industrial psychologist, organizational psychologist in a university I was sitting on the board of only aware of him, obviously one of the key members of the faculty, and um, was kind of curious, but I didn't develop a, a relationship with him at the time. I was on the board, Little, little tough to do that when you're a board member, have relationship with faculty. Uh, but later on, when I discovered he was leaving his faculty position to launch a company, I became very intrigued. And I was able through a, another person I knew who I'd worked with to get to know him as he began to launch that journey. Uh, and I, I got to tell you, by learning what he was doing, it helped me learn about myself and codify many of the things I had already experienced. So today I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Rob McKenna, the founder and CEO of Wild Leaders and uh, and also a fantastic human being. <laughs> Rob, great having you on the great conversation. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Ron. I I have I have something else I want to say that you made me think about in that introductory moment. Um when I applied to graduate school long, long ago, I was looking into um, different PhD programs that would take me. <laughs> and uh, it's fascinating. I haven't really thought about it that way until you were just making those comments, is that I applied to both um, industrial organizational psychology programs and to clinical programs. And... Uh, I, 
you know, I, I struggled at the time because I had uh, been an average student as an undergrad. Uh, and then I'm attempting to get into PhD programs, kind of had found myself a little bit later, like many, many of us. And, but I think it's interesting in your, in what you were saying, because for whatever reason, I've, you know, you have, how you have that kind of one good sermon on your mind and heart that kind of repeats over your lifetime. I don't know if everyone does, but for me, it's been, that's been the story. I never thought about it that way because the clinical programs I was looking to always had somebody on the faculty who was organizational in their in their research or their kind of their own nature. And so I was looking for this weird thing. Um, even when I was looking at more organizational programs, I was kind of looking at places where I could see a little bit of the heart alongside the business part. When I'm looking at clinical programs, I'm looking for places that could see the business alongside the heart. And it made it made that process very interesting because I'm a I'm a person who had done a I did an MBA before that mostly to get my grades up so I could get into the programs, um, but so I had this business thing that was going on inside of me that throughout my lifetime like that one good thing that I have not been able to escape is really goes all the way back probably previous to that moment but it, that's a really um, I guess an explicit, explicit moment of training for me that I was looking for that would cross those lines. And, you know, I, I think I've told you this in other conversations that um, I, I oftentimes will ask CEOs we work with, if you could go back and study two things, what would you study? <laughs> and I've heard most of the, the, the most common two things that they say are accounting or accounting and finance kind of is the common thing and psychology because most of what they deal with <laughs> has to do with the thinking needing feeling and behaving of the people and the accounting like that's what business leadership is about that's what leading of any organization is about but we don't but those worlds are so disruptive to each other to even approach as the as as one in not one in the same but one in the same conversation and so i guess uh in your comments that's my my response to what you said is it took me back to my applications to graduate school well we're we're back to that bridge right between human being and worker because someone is running an organization if they're a true leader do want to be psychologically invested and engaged in their people and vice, and they want the same from their people. So there's an exchange of value there in getting involved in each other's lives and in their collaborative mission. But then you have this nasty little thing and you're a business owner now, so you know it. That nasty little thing, I'm a business owner, I know it, called I got to keep the ship floating in the water and I have to account for the expenses and the revenue it generates. Oh my gosh, what a paradox, right, Rob? I care about a human being and now money's involved. Money is not the root of all evil. It just can be used for bad purposes, but money is a reality of a business and now that you've been thrown into it, it must have had a visceral, you must have had a, almost a visceral epiphany on your own regarding that, that interesting reality. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought about 
if I went back to an MBA program now, like put me in an executive MBA program today, I will be that adult learner who's con- incredibly annoying in class, by the way. But um, because I have all these questions that would drive professors crazy that I think I was starting to ask, but I didn't have the experience to really ask at the next level. And so if you if you put me in an accounting class, what I would ask now is, or what I would be challenged to do is I got to learn the accounting. I've got to understand the what accounts receivables are. And I also have to understand all the things that are not going to be in that accounting textbook that are going to affect whether or not my accounts receivables are actually being processed effectively. You know, but like it's 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 just reality. It's not that's not living in a pretend sort of philosophical world. Like that's my daily reality. And my belief is that that's the reality of most people when they come to that moment and say they don't have that same language yet. You know what I mean? Just to realize that there's a paradox they're facing, but they feel it every day. And that it's that the necessity for for not just revenue growth, but the question about, am I looking for revenue growth or am I looking at increased profitability? You know what I mean? Like we deal with so many CEOs who just think it's all about revenue growth and they realize like, oh, that's not what it's all about. And it's like, so holding on to those things so they actually can make payroll and at the same time, not making it about all those things as the bottom line. Like that tension of the necessity, but maybe that's not the main point. It's so fascinating. Well, you, you and I have talked many times and if all of you were listening to this now, but you could see uh, us on video, I'm holding my hands up, you know, <laughs> like like uh, I, I'm the uh, justice angel holding the two scale, the scale and this paradox that we live in all the time. Does it ever get resolved or are we always going to live in that paradox? And if so, Rob, how do we navigate that? What do you think is core in that bridge that you yourself are living in now? What is core to that bridge? What is fundamental? What is foundational? What kind of coaching can you give us leaders and business owners on how to navigate that paradox? And this is the best I have today, Ron, regarding that. Is One thing I would say is that What's been fascinating in my development as a um, as a theorist, an empiricist, um, and and researcher, and then consultant, then moving into the later phases of my career into actually business owner and leader in that kind of a context, is that when I look at the the research on leader development for nearly one hundred years, the one thing that has been shared that's not being talked about as much now but for decades is precisely that paradox i mean the earliest research on leaders coming out of the you know the university of michigan and ohio state these are famous studies were what what was often described as the need for task clarity like business clarity and also the need for consideration We've known this for a long time. What we didn't know is how do we, to your question, is how do we help a leader navigate these two things that are a paradox? Because a paradox is two two things that are seemingly contradictory. That's the definition of a paradox, both of which are true. 
How do you navigate something where they are seemingly things of the heart and things of the business side of our lives? And by the way, it doesn't matter whether it's a business or our families. The systems, the budgets, the plans, the goals, the checklist, all those things matter. That's the business side. My feelings, my attitude, my thinking, my relationships, that's the heart side of this. That we've known for decades that that's true. And so, and there was, and there's actually work done um, uh, called, I think it was Quinn who published all this. I used it in my dissertation, who uh, published the competing values framework. There was a book about it. This is way long ago. I think it was published in the eighties. And one of the most, the to your, to your question is I have found that one of the most important places we have to start is to accept the paradox to not try to diminish it, to not try to remove it. It's interesting in the whole area of like, some people think of it this way, that the world functions this way, that we have a thesis, we have an antithesis, and the goal is synthesis. And I think in our lived experience, that's hogwash. Our, our first goal is not to synthesize, it's to accept. The, the, the wonder and the beauty of these paradoxes of life in our created way that is that is so powerful. So if if I can move a leader to say, let's not, because once we accept it, we can start to see it more clearly. And so that, that would be the first step. Like, I think we can synthesize some things later. I'm not saying that that's not important, but if we can, ex if we can accept it as this reality, this wonderful and challenging reality that I live within which I live, then we can start to deal with it. I've been, um, as I've shared with many of the leaders on this podcast, I, I love reading about leadership and culture and, uh, and interviewing thought leaders around it. Um, and so I have done the same with you. I've read your book. I have actually gone through one of the things you call the wild experience. And you know this because I've said it to you, but you just confirmed it. The way you can help leaders navigate this paradox is take them on a journey, if you will, to seeing. Tell me about that journey. One thing I've been thinking about for the last several weeks and um, and probably long before that, but I've been sort of put my eyes under the microscope or on top of the microscope of this is some some fundamental questions. And, um, and I thought a lot about this, like in our work with WILD, and WILD stands for those who don't know, stands for whole and intentional leader development. And each of those words is very important to me. Um, but what I've thought about is, is this, these different questions that we ask ourselves. And one thing I've described over the years is, is that the focus of our mission is to, is to focus on the one with an eye to the many, with the idea that we are, as leaders are responsible for kind of how everyone is feeling, but that the way that we actually get to understand that is by focusing on any individual. And so it causes you to ask yourself, like, what is the thing that we are all looking for? And uh, 
the challenge with that question is that what people are looking for is nuanced. That's the beauty of it. To focus on the one with the eye to the many is to say, what is every individual seeing or looking for that's absolutely critical? Like the, the question that they're asking is nuanced to them. So if you step one step higher than that and say, what do those things that people are asking have in common? Why is that important in a business? Because as long as we're dealing with human beings, they are going to be asking these questions. And so to effectively do employee development in a way that connects the business to the heart would be to say, what are they asking? And to the best of my knowledge, to the best of any wisdom I can generate into this at this point in my life, the fundamental thing that we share is, is a search for wholeness. That what we share is, is a need to fix something, to improve, to get better, to describe what you and I have talked about as to identify and understand what is lacking. And, and that wholeness is, is an, one of the most important aspirations in our life. That it includes for some of it includes different things. For some of us, we're looking for increased revenue, and I can't figure out why I can't get there. For some of us, we're looking for, I know I need to apologize to someone, and I don't know how to do that. For some of us, we're dealing with a really problem team member that's like feels like it's breaking everything apart. And we know we have something that we're contributing to that, but we don't know how to have that conversation. For some of us, we have a job we hate. And so we're trying to figure out how to do that. For some of us, we just wish we had a job. And so fixing it would look like that. And so that's this, this question. And as far as I can tell that everyone is asking is how do I, they may not use that language, but what I would say we share is that search for search to begin to solve our aspiration for wholeness. Um, which then does lead me into two other questions. Um, but I'll stop there. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this brain right now. Well, I love, I love how you juxtaposed a word against wholeness, lacking. And it's so true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, from the time we were kids, there was always something we felt was missing. And it could have been a toy in our early days. It could have been a friend in our middays. Could be feeling a part of something as we got into adulthood. And it what we do know is the marketplace is saying that um, most people are feeling that way. They're they're disengaged at work, they're worried about their world. They don't trust the authorities and the institutions that they grew up in or they reside in. Mm -hmm. So the search for, for filling that lacking, that journey to wholeness, has to begin with something. What does it begin with, Rob? Something that I... Um... Hold on to that question because I want to get it. I, I went bowling with my family last week and I walk up to the counter, you know, to get the shoes and to say, we're going to bowl for an hour and all that. You know, a woman walked up, young woman walked up to the counter and she was um, in a certain lane on the, in the bowling lanes. And she said, um, will you turn on the bumpers for me to the guy behind the desk? And, uh, and he said, 
I'm trying to think, what's he going to say? You know what I mean? Because it was an interesting question. We know the bumpers that go up to to block the gutters to give you, you know, um, with basic, which basically protects you from the ultimate failure. That's what the bumpers do, right? They, they, they're not going to give you a strike, but they're going to protect you from the ultimate failure, which is a gutter ball. And and what he said was, he said, well, you have to be you have to be under 13 to have the gutters. And she was obviously, she's probably 20 years old. And so she walked away kind of disappointed. And it started to make me think like, why is it that we, when we become adults, that it's no longer okay to have the gutters. I'm sorry to have the bumpers in the gutters. And, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why that's true, right? Probably because I was asking my son about it and he said, well, because when you get bigger and stronger, you'll probably break those, those bumpers. I bet that's true. Like, he's like, I can't trust you with the bumpers. So I'm going to take them away and we're just going to blindly walk forward without, because my rule is going to be, if you're not under 13, you don't get to have them anymore. And so across all areas of our life, we get into organizational adulthood and we no longer have bumpers that can protect us at least from a moment from the ultimate failure. And it's, it's interesting because the, the second question that I ask myself is I ask myself this uh, in recent months is like, if, if, if wholeness is what we're all seeking for, looking for to reduce that lacking or to reduce our feelings of fragmentation or brokenness or places where it's just not working, what is the one thing that we can't live without? And, and the one thing that to the best of my knowledge, again, at this point, the one thing that we can't live without, that we use all kinds of other words to describe, we use words like belonging, we use words like empathy, we use words like kindness and care, is love. That we cannot live or live well. We might be alive in terms, physically alive, but be dead otherwise without love. And, and that's a naughty organizational word. And I think as soon as it's not naughty, we'll be in trouble. When 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 we culturally hijack love as something something's easier to approach than actual love, we will be missing it again. We will have created false bumpers in this world, you know. And so, so when you ask me that question, I um that's where my brain goes. And so what I've spent, I realize I've spent my life building leads to that last question I've been asking myself: is what is it we must build what is it that we must build and i'll pause there well it's what's interesting about that question for me is um i just had a dear friend pass and uh i posted on LinkedIn, an opening paragraph that said um, something along these lines. They're all contradictory, by the way, but you wouldn't call them contradictions because you, what do you say? If you actually list them all out, you'll see how they're all connected. Mm -hmm. So leaders are born, leaders are made, leaders build. They build people, they build systems, they build companies, they build out ideas. So the first thing I went to is, are we as human beings 
natively builders? That's the first thing I went to when you made that comment. Mm. We must build. Is there a kind of a human necessity to build? And then to build what? To build what? And what are the elements that make a successful builder? So if I'm building a relationship, what are those key elements? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. If we go down the logic ladder, if I start with building relationships, what did you call it? The one and the many? If mm -hmm. I start with building a relationship, if I know what the elements are for that successful exchange of value, because relationship is an exchange of value, what will it build? You know, mm -hmm. if you go down that logic letter, that continuum, you might be building a team. You might be building a company. You might be building a movement. You see where I'm going? That's what you inspire me when you say one to many and you say we must build. Does Am I anywhere close to what you're trying to convey? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's a, and I ask myself that question too, like is, and, and, and. Again, and if we give up that must, what happens to us? Yeah, I, and I, and I, I do think we are, we are for whatever reason designed to build. Um, and yet we are not designed for the purpose of building. So it's it's uh it's fascinating this 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 being compelled to build to take action, you know it's like we know so many things psychologically about how this works. If I have to take a step out to try something out to develop the the efficacy, the belief that I could do the next thing, and it's those moments of success or failure. So so stepping out is a developmental process. Building and failing to build and successfully building and walking through life that way is a, is a part of the developmental process, but what I also see in the literature and in my own experience is that it's not for the sake of building. And that's, and that's fascinating. I think because so often in business, we lose track of that. Um, that it's not for the sake of it. And yet it's still important because if there isn't a purpose, um, we can build houses all day long, but if we don't know why, and one level would be because there's a market for it in a particular region where we bought a, you know, we have a, we have a client who built, who bought a massive plots of land and built thousands and thousands of homes because there was a market there. But that business was driven by a deeper why, much, much deeper why than putting sticks together to make a house. We will, we will lose ourselves in the building if we do it for the sake of that. And yet the building is a necessary part of achieving the mission. <laughs> I, I'm I'm laughing because as um, um, I've been able to my bookshelves are full of philosophers and Stoics and Marcus Aurelius for example his journal and I'm laughing because uh, here's a guy who was a builder here's a guy who was a leader and kind of like uh I think Solomon ended up experiencing this too. He pauses one day in his journal and says, and yet very similar to what you just did, we must do this. We must lead. But he says, but if you don't treat each moment 
as an eternal moment. Mm. You're here to live in this moment and experience it. And what did you say? And see it fully for what it is. So this experience of seeing, he really dwells on that. That's our purpose. The evolution of our seeing. And you could take that in a religious context. You could take that in a business context. You can take that in a philosophical context. But if you say, ultimately, what we're here for is to see more fully, and there's lots of different journeys up the mountain for that view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so, it's so interesting, Ron, because it was the... <clears throat> and this is this is our particular mission in this whole conversation. And one of the reasons that I, I believe so deeply in what we built in the wild trust platform, because when you, when I think about that, that question that we are all asking, like, what is the one thing that we want most? And if we, if we agree that the answer is some form of wholeness, is what we are truly facing. Like, and, and wholeness might include some of those building moments, right? I can't build this thing that I'm trying to build. And that if we agree that the, that the one thing that we can't live without is love, and that, that it includes all these things that we're talking about organizationally in safer kinds of ways, but that it, my capacity to love and to be loved, to accept love and to, to understand all the pieces of that, of what it means to do that well, the sacrifices that will be necessary, and in the idea that, that too, I don't know that you can love anyone that you don't know. Like, can you love someone you don't know? And to know someone is for them to let you know them, which means also the process of them knowing themselves. You know what I mean? So it's like, if I know my, if I'm understanding myself better and I share that with you, then something begins to change. And that fundamentally that knowing, that self-knowledge and knowledge of others, and that willingness to sacrifice to, and it, it is a sacrifice. I am, I used to kind of, I used to sacrifice this in my, in, in my own talking about this, because people pushed back so hard on that. The, the necessity for me to say, I am still growing in my belief in who I am. And I'm also willing to put that aside for your sake in moments that I choose. And so that that's the love part. And then you think about this at a more at a at a practical level when you think about what it is that we must build. And this is where you and I, I love saying it this way, violently agree. <laughs> is that is that what we must build is trust. Not for the sake of trust, but because without it, we can't we can't get to the question of love and we can't get to the question of what it is we'd want most most in terms of wholeness without that. And so the fascinating thing about trust is that it is in order to build it, in order for me to see myself and share that with you and the vulnerability it takes for me to do that requires bumpers, <clears throat> at least in the beginning. You know, I describe it oftentimes as scaffolding. There's different words you could use that scaffolding on a building gives us access to parts of the building we wouldn't otherwise be able to see. But this is the power of psychology and this whole conversation around business in the heart is that we kind of know what's going on inside of each one of us, each of the ones in its own way. So the challenge is 
providing that fundamental shared language architecture for conversations around these different things and understanding those things. Cause we have really good ideas now about what the common things we face are, but it also has to be a conversation that breathes, that has its own unique way. Because for example, your motivations and mine matter. <laughs> Even why we're motivated to be in this conversation right now matters. The motivations of every person in our organization matters. That's the thing we share. What we don't share or is different for us or is nuanced is that we're motivated by different things. And that's where the beauty and wonder of every employee, of every family member comes out. And that the, the building a foundation of trust requires uh, some bumpers and those bumpers I would describe or that scaffolding as those fundamentals of psychology that we share and then allowing people to share those things in their own unique and wonderfully nuanced way. And then all of a sudden it affects all these other things regarding accounting and finance and marketing and sales and you know all the business fundamentals that we assume mistakenly are about just about the business fundamentals. Because if I go back into that class with my accounting professor, you know what I'm going to ask now? So, I, so I'm dealing with my accountant who, who's a CPA and understands accounting at the umpteenth level. But I can already sense this person lacks confidence in certain areas that are affecting the way they're actually executing on the accounting part. <laughs> There's a human element that's at play in every one of those interactions. So... At the end of the day, if I can extrapolate from everything you've told us and shared with us today, what you're hoping that your people at Wild uh, are able to do for your clients is help them. You, you want to be co-architects with them in developing a trust platform for their business mm -hmm. at the end of the day. If you can do that, everything, every value exchange that happens inside the company, outside the company is infected, is infused if you're able to do that. Absolutely. And if it, if they're able to do that, it increases our capacity to love well and it increases our capacity to move toward our aspiration for wholeness. And, and this is where this is so cool for me. I've always said I'm a builder. Well, where do you build? I build businesses. And in the process of building businesses, I'm building people. Mm -hmm. And, and yet I always used to say, and you heard me in the opening of the great conversation. If I do that well, I can change the part of the world I was planted in mm. and maybe beyond. So Rob, I know your mission and heart is beyond the business, but the fact that you're starting there and you're giving leaders within those frameworks, those kind of tools give me hope in changing the world. Thank you for a great conversation, Dr. Rob McKenna. Thank you, Ron.